Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. Uh, the Comedy Bureau Field Report, of course, is a member of the Believe podcast family, which is why it reads in your podcast app uh, or platform as Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report. I would not pick a name like that. Um, the name of the network, and they just stuck it right in there. And they want to be cheeky, so they have Believe. It sounds like Believe. I didn't make that up. Um, that's just the name of the network. Uh, enough of that, as I do every week. Um, on to uh, another great, illustrious guest, um, a person I've known for a long time and, and very interested in their journey. Uh, was a comedy star regular, would you say? Would you use past or present tense? Well, it's it's kind of a funny thing because um, the, I just... Hi, everybody. My name is Fifi Dosh. Yeah, Fifi Dosh, everybody. I, I, started, I started transitioning into a woman, literally the day before the stay-at-home order went down, which is an odd So <laughs> it's, yeah, my name on the comedy store is still Joe Dosh, and I'm not sure if I want to correct it. Yeah? Do you just want to leave it there as, um, like, that's the last remnant of your dead name? Yeah, I mean, it's, look, man, I mean, who who would have thought the world would have turned out the way it is? So, I mean, I'm just kind of, that's one of the last things in my mind right now, you know? Right, absolutely, so, absolutely. Uh, we'll get into more of that later, Fifi, yeah. but how are you? How's quarantine going? Where are you quarantined at? Oh, uh, hon, I'm so, I'm in L.A. I'm really good. I'm that's in L.A. Good. now, but I've been traipsing around. I went up and stayed in Montana for a while on my friend's farm. I went up to Colorado for a bit. Mm-hmm. I've been kind of all over the place. It feels good. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, look, the, the thing of it is, is, like, I started transitioning this year. It is night and day, my mood difference. Mm-hmm. It feels really weird being the only happy person in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean... <laughs> You and Jeff Bezos. You and Jeff Bezos. Well, yeah, yeah. Me and him and his high five, and everyone else is like, "Oh my god, the apocalypse is coming!" I'm like, "Let's go smell sunflowers." You know. Right, right. Uh, well, that's good to hear. Uh, that's yeah. Mon- staying in Montana for a bit must have been quite nice. You got all of that open space. Oh yeah. So much open space. It's mostly open space, right? Big Sky State. Yes, it is. Big Sky State. Yeah. That's uh, when did you do that? This was around Fourth of July. Fourth of July. Fourth of July. Now, was that just an opportunity that came along, or were you looking to get out of town? Well, I I lived there for a long time, and I still have a very very good friend up there who has a farm, and I'm like, hey man, L.A. really like this this is getting tough to deal with at the time because we just couldn't like you just you remember you just couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. the longest time and like LA just looked ugly for a while because of uh all the you know the protests and things so it was just like man it was tough to be here so I'm like oh, yeah. I, I'm like man I need a break I really do like yeah. you guys have 11 pet goats can I come just like I'll drive 17 hours to pet a goat at this point pet. that's worth it I mean people were crossing state lines just to get a haircut so I mean what you know petting a goat I mean whatever you need to do in this time to feel okay. Yeah. As long as you're not hurting yourself or others. I mean, exactly. 
I, I totally, totally get it. Um, it's, uh, even though you're doing well, I don't think you're really parading around, uh, you know, hold, holding it over other people's heads. So that's nice. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but that, you know, is there, what do you think the key to that is? Well, I mean, I think it's... Finding yourself, maybe? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously in a very special circumstance to do that. And, like, I, I finally get to be myself after I have a nut. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, like, I think more things anything can do. It's just perspective, you know? Like, yeah, there's some things that are going on that are scary and haven't happened before. There are also some things that have happened before in our lifetime, like... Mm -hmm. AIDS happened in our lifetime. Nine eleven. Like I think if you're younger, you might not really realize like what a big deal nine eleven was. I mean, I think it's like not to get too grim, but it's easy to look at the death count and be like, yeah, three thousand versus two hundred thousand. What's the big deal? But like, remember like every day being like, is a nuclear bomb going to go off today? Like, it was like that for several years. And I just believe in people, man. Like we we. I don't like giving up. I hate nihilism. Like sure. all sure. humanity has ever done is deal with problems. Right. You know, that's right. what human beings do. And this is our problem to deal with. And some of it's new, some of it's kind of not. Right. You know, but like, I also, I think too, if you were to look at like the 20th century and like you go from like 1900, like go from like world war one till now, this is probably not to downplay anything. This is probably still the tamest thing to happen in the last hundred years. Mm hmm. So I just, I yeah, just try I, to, I just try to remember that, you know. Yeah, I think about that too in terms of perspective of I, you know, um, of course these times are terrifying, but yeah. when Hitler was actually in power, if you were alive at that time, that had to be truly scary. Yeah. Truly, <laughs> truly, like you know, every week you read about a dictator taking over another country. Yeah. Um. We're not there yet. No. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, and also, again, it's just a perspective thing. And I, of course, a lot of people, I mean, the whole entire world's affected. But for 1% of the world's population to actually have to, like, be infected by COVID-19, you'd have to have 78 million cases. Yeah. And we're not even at, um, well, I mean, we're like, you know, not even close to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very bad, sure. But like, I mean, go ahead and feel sad. Go ahead and feel bummed out. But like, don't give up, you know? Yeah, don't give up. No. Um, because that's not going to do anything. No. No. Um, so that's what the, the precarious balance that people have to strike. I mean, I understand there's some huge things going on and like, just my motto is we have zero justification to give up on the world. Zero. Mm -hmm. It's such a spoiled idea to think we even can. <laughs> I, yes, I think, uh, I mean, if you're feeling down and you need to take the time to just uh, get yourself, you know, with self care and just be able to be okay, I think that's fine, but yeah. Giving up entirely, I hope people don't resign themselves to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and hopefully comedy can help with that in some way, shape, or form. I keep yeah. trying to figure the place of it and uh, in all these times. And I mean, that's part.
part of what this podcast has sort of become. Um, Cause I mean, comedy itself is trying to figure out how to, you know, stand on its own legs and um, comedians, people who are in comedy, it's all, I mean, everybody's going through it, but you know, watching live comedy of really any kind uh, is one of the things that seems to be like, I mean, in how it was traditionally done, it's going to be a while before we get to do that, how it was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so that has a lot of people guessing and trying a bunch of stuff, but I appreciate the initiative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's get to some news. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so the Emmys were this past weekend, the primetime Emmys. Yeah. Um, which, like this podcast, happened on Zoom. Um, a bunch of people went on Zoom. Uh, Shit's Creek uh, swept its comedy category. Uh, or, I mean, it swept in, like, the comedy. Uh, pretty much every category it was nominated. And it came with seven wins. Um you big fan of Schitt's Creek? I've people? actually never seen it, and I'm told this is unacceptable. Yeah, <laughs> really? By who? By a lot of people. Like a yeah. lot of, like I got. Look, I gotta admit, I was put off by the title when I heard the title. I'm like, this looks mm-hmm. like it sucks, and everyone is like, no, 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 no. It's amazing. Right. So I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll fess up. I have only seen an episode. Yeah. Uh, I did enjoy it. It's just that there, it's the same problem that, uh, you know, it's, it happens with all, I mean, not only TV, but movies and podcasts and music and everything. There's just so much of it. There's yeah. so much of it. And now, I mean, like Shit's Creek was so acclaimed and so beloved, it got to like five seasons, I believe. And that just starts to become like this, all right, that's a lot. So, like, if I really like this, I got to invest all this time. I know we got a lot of time on our hands. Yeah. I mean, simultaneously, we have a lot of time on our hands, and it then it doesn't feel like it. I mean, I feel like my days are full, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I will get, we'll both get to Schitt's Creek yeah. at some point, especially with um, it having a historic run at the Emmys. Well, uh, you know what? Maybe I won't. No one tells me what to do. No one tells you what to do. I, I mean, I take that stance on Game of Thrones. Uh, people yeah. yelled at me to watch Game of Thrones so much. And then because people talked about it so much, um, I feel like I know what happened. And uh, yeah. I don't, I now, now I don't want to do it anymore. It turned out that it sucked in the end. So <laughs> who got away with something? You right. did. Yeah. I don't know that a show that big and that talked about could have ended in a way that pleased everybody. Well, yeah, well, this, they certainly could have done better in this, that's for sure. Oh, did you watch it? Yeah, it was bad. I mean, I, like, here's the thing. I don't like when people say, like, this ruined the show, It like, but, like, it did. I don't care all that much that it did, right. but I'm like, yeah, like, I used to love this show, and now when I try to watch old episodes and I know what happens, I'm like, fuck this shit. <laughs> Well, glad I will save so many hours of my life not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that does seem to be the consensus opinion that people hated the finale. Yeah. Ew. It was It was bad. It was really bad. Is it? Um, did you watch The Sopranos at all? 
I am about, I just did This is, uh, this is Rad, Four Hour Sopranos episode yesterday. I love The Sopranos so much. Did it's you, all right, take on the finale versus the finale of I of I love The Sopranos finale. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think it's incredible. It's such a, it's such a statement. It's so in line with the theme of the show. I think people who wanted it to come to a neat conclusion kind of weren't paying that much attention. Mm-hmm. I, I love, I, I think The Sopranos is a masterpiece. I have nothing bad to say about it. There you go. There yeah. you go. Um, better to leave it off, you know, the way they did versus trying for, I think they tried too much for so much closure or wrapping everything up. On Game of Thrones, you mean? Game of Thrones, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and to to be fair, you know, George R. R. Martin, the author, Mm -hmm. has, like, the last book came out in 2011. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and I genuinely, like, he says there's going to be two more books, and I kind of don't think he can wrap it up in two books. And I think he, I don't think he thinks he can wrap it up in a way that's going to be, the same level of quality as the rest of the series and I don't think he wants to disappoint people and I think that's why he hasn't finished it and to their you know to give you know the Game of Thrones people a break it's like well we're gonna finish this and um you can't but we gotta so we're gonna and it's dunk and um, and not for nothing like the show would have been good if he finished the books but he didn't or he couldn't or whatever so right yeah. yeah Time and time again, I mean, like, um, I don't know if you're a fan of The Matrix, but The Matrix, the first one, uh, you know, was what it was. And then um, it was later found out that the the Wachowskis didn't originally come up with the idea. Really? Yes, but Reloaded and Revolutions, they had to settle out of court because of it, too. Oh, Um, I didn't know that. Uh, but Reloaded and Revolutions were their idea, and they are so much worse. You know what? They are, but I'd still rather watch the Matrix sequels than, like, I'm not a, de- like, I'd rather watch the Matrix sequels than any superhero movie today. I li- like, I, sure. think the Ma- sure. I think the Matrix has aged surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. Things from the late 90s tend not to age well, but the Matrix is pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay, I mean the uh, the action sequences are the uh, I mean you know they are iconic. Um, yeah. I do think the CGI got worse, but eh, worse as the sequels went on. But. Yeah, like the like the Ghost Brothers. I'm like I don't I don't care. But like you know that part where the two trucks collide in midair and oh, it like yeah. does the whole thing. Like I watched that the other day and I was still like wow. Like I don't go wow a lot anymore, but that was. That was dope, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's still that still very, very much holds up, I think. Yeah. Also uh, the fight with all the Agent Smiths is cool. Like mm-hmm. I just Hugo Weaving's a great villain. Also, oh. like, not for nothing, but those those movies are transy as fuck. There are some great video mm-hmm. essays about how the Matrix is kind of about being trans and it's like, oh yeah, kinda it it kinda is. And this is awesome. And like it just kind of shows like, yeah, you can make a movie that like dude bros love and it can be all full of your big gay transy feelings and everyone can love it, you know? Can you give a quick rundown of what those points are? Well, essentially there are people online who've said it better than me, but they're, it's essentially the beginning, 
it's Neo and he works in this office and he kind of can't like shake this feeling like something is wrong. This can't be what real life is. Something's fucked up. And he has this big online life and a lot of trans people kind of will pretend to be whatever the gender they are online. And he just has this shaking feeling like this is not right something is so wrong the whole world is wrong why does this feel this way and then he gets like literally gets rebirthed into this new world and it's really cold and gray and ugly and difficult for a long time but like in the end of it he comes out a superhero it's like if you can be reborn in this world that's scary like i.e transitioning you can kind of become a superhero in your own life just in how you feel also the main villain constantly calls him Mr. Anderson instead of Neo, yeah. he's dead naming it. Right. Yeah. Right. And like there, yeah. there's even a point, you know when he's got him in the in the Yeah, he's like, like my name's Neo. My name is Neo. And he smashes him against the ceiling and he gets hit by the train. You're like, yeah, I get yeah. it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um I wonder where the Wachowskis were in their transitioning process oh, with that with that arc in mind perhaps. I mean, I think they, I, I mean, they're credited as the Wachowski brothers through all three films, I think. Right. And, you know, by the way, I cannot wait to see the fourth one because, like, as much as I like the Matrix, because they're all, they're all out now and they've been living as women for years. Mm-hmm. And as much as I like the Matrix movies, like, they're kind of written by people who maybe have a tough time accessing emotions, let's say. So now that they've got this well to go, I just, I can't wait to see what they do. Yeah. Even if it sucks, it's going to be so interesting. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, Sense8 was a huge swing. Yeah. Um, so now that they're the Wachowski sisters. Yeah. Uh, and there's reports that they're... We'll get back to comedy in a second. <laughs> um, that they're not really going to... At least the most humorless action movie of all time we spent 20 minutes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about Shit's Creek a second ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the sort of freedom I'm allowing on this podcast. Hey, that's, okay. that's making content, baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that they're going to really try to explore any of the, like, any of the old Matrix at all. They're really trying to, you know push for a sort of yeah. new arc, new storyline. So I'm, I bet that it's going to have a lot to do uh, with everything that you just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other big win uh, for the Emmys, Dave Chappelle got another Emmy win for his, uh, not his latest special, which was largely a meditation on the murder of George Floyd, but yeah. uh, the special before that, Sticks and Stones. Um, which got a lot of flack for its uh, transphobic jokes. Um, and then, you know, he won and he, uh, Dave made a statement about telling uh, critics to shut the fuck up and, uh, you know, basically waving his Emmy trophy in their, everyone's face. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I did not watch Sticks and Stones, and that's because I. I don't really, I don't care for his latest work. I just right. don't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't really, look, I mean, I don't, look, I mean, I say some gnarly shit. Dave says some gnarly shit. Sure. I don't care to watch what he does now, so I don't. And that's frankly how I recommend 
like I've been so personally helped and affected by really, really, really offensive art, even like offensive about people that I am. So I don't ever, I'm, I'm never going to say this is bad or that is bad, but I just don't, I don't care for what he does. So I don't, right. I don't watch it. Yeah. I will agree with that. Since his return to stand up. Yeah. Which I think he's like on his fifth, sixth special now. Um, there's Dave seems to still be struggling with the idea of his own celebrity and how to like engage with that and try to do what he used to do. But like for those first two hours that he released when he came back was just like him just addressing stories about himself. Yeah, there is. And I didn't care for it. Yeah, it's like when rappers like make albums about other albums they made. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, remember I made The Chronic? It's like, yeah, man, you did. That was good. What else you got? Yeah. You know, and uh, he, it, it still seems like he still can't explicitly address why he left The Chappelle Show. He has well, to do it in a metaphor of yeah. a book that's like 50 years old. Yeah, it's also like, okay... Like, is it hard dealing with a lot of success, man? Like, it's not, it's not the most, it's not the craziest thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Dude, like, oh, did they get a little antsy when, like, this thing was the most powerful, successful, profitable thing ever? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, man, like, that doesn't blow my mind. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're all fine that you left now. We all like yeah. processed it. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did they want some of the big pile of money you say? Like, of course they did, dude. Like, I don't. You know. Of course. Yes, you were making them a lot of money and they wanted to keep that going. Yeah. Because otherwise they have to figure out another thing and they don't really want to do that. Dave Chappelle's life to me, it feels like, you know that Twilight Zone where the guy dies and he goes to like the afterlife is a casino where he always wins mm-hmm. and he thinks it's heaven and then he can't lose and he realizes he's in hell. Mm-hmm. That's what Dave Chappelle's life feels like to me. He <laughs> just can't lose and it's not a it's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you can't lose, then it's not really winning. No. No. Um, he can say I mean he could say anything and people will think it's the greatest thing in the world and like that's not. That's yeah. not good for anyone. It's right. Not good. I, do, I, does think, I, I do think it points out, you know, another important point about the Emmys. I mean, like his, that special was uh, kind of really dragged. Yeah. Uh, I think appropriately so. And uh, the Emmys, like the Grammys, and I mean, so many of these big profile, high profile award ceremonies, it's a popularity contest for a large part, especially when it comes to like comedy albums or comedy specials. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the consideration of somebody who actually made something that was like groundbreaking or engaging that isn't famous is very unlikely. I mean, you have to actually invest a lot of money to even apply to be considered. Yeah. And um, if you're not having your special uh, already add a streaming service or a network like I mean you would have to do that out of pocket and you're just not going to do that uh, most of the time yeah and um, you know I think that <laughs> should be a little more transparent uh, in terms of why like how or why a certain special wins because yeah. you know I think without looking into it too much people automatically 
give some weight or now they'll reconsider a special that probably wasn't worthy of it. And especially with Chappelle coming out with such uh, a statement of like telling the critics to shut the fuck up. I mean, like, well, that's the yeah, thing. With, did, you, did you take the award? I you mean, took the award. Like, I don't care what you guys think. Well, well, no, but he was, I guess, no, never mind. Like he was, you're saying he was shitting on critics rather than the Emmy committee? Yeah, he was shitting on critics. Okay, never mind. I take back what I said. I, you know, I will tell you what, as much as there are things about Dave Chappelle I don't care for, I agree, fuck comedy critics, so. Right. Well, that that's the thing about comedy criticism that, I mean, I think a lot of people that are, come from a different um, realm of criticism into critiquing comedy kind yeah. of understand is it, it is so subjective. Like, you can trash whoever you want, however long you want, but they still will have their fan base. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's why uh, largely what I do, I just write about things that I think are personally funny. Yeah. And, uh, highlighting people that perhaps wouldn't get a spotlight otherwise because yeah. people are too busy trying to figure out, well, is this good? Is it not good? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, I mean, did you find it funny? If you didn't find it funny, then don't bother. Well, also, like, a lot of people who write comedy criticism, like, they, they don't like laughing. They're not, like... They don't really like, com I think a lot of these people, they don't really like comedy. They're just sort of jealous of it. Sure. You know, but like, it's okay to be like, I don't really dig this that much. Like, right. I tell you what, like since transitioning, I care about comedy a fraction of the amount that I did living as a dude. Because I just like, I just, I don't know, man. I just like life. I like petting goats and making homemade pickles and listening to lesbian bluegrass and shit. And um. I'm, you know, I'm enjoying things. So. Right. And I mean, uh, you seem so much just lighter, happier. Thank you. Um, because I, I, I've known you for years now and I would just run into you at uh, Mike's at the store or wherever um, yeah. before you transitioned. And you, I, I remember you worked as hard as anybody terms yeah. of like doing stand-up and grinding and I, I'm sure you had the goal to get your name on the comedy store wall and you got it um but you were always it was always very you were always very reserved yeah yeah I mean I was just really unhappy and I was like you know didn't want to approach anyone because I hated myself and I had this deep down like what's the point kind of thing going on and like mm -hmm. hey if I get up on stage and go hey everybody I'm, I'm funny see and I'm smart and I matter see I'm here see see and I just don't I don't feel the need to do that anymore right and you seem so much I mean like you used to just wear all gray or black yeah and now this you got this beautiful floral print and it, yeah. it seems like a matching a head wrap and you know it's great. The real autumn, I'm learning. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Um, next news item: uh, yeah. SF Sketchfest, which is one of the world's biggest comedy festivals, uh, is going the virtual route because that's what we're afforded right now in terms of big scale events. Um, they're postponing. Normally, SF Sketchfest happens like uh, mid January uh, for around yeah. two, two and a half, three weeks, and um, they're not going to do that. The, for 2021 uh in place of that they're going to have a series of virtual events which uh, you know, i guess you could think of as uh, satellite shows uh they've announced one so far uh which is going to be a special adaptation of plan nine from outer space uh 
uh, led by Dana Gould. And All having, right. yeah, people like Bobcat Goldthwait and Paul F. Tompkins, uh, you know, librating the script. And it won't just be like a Zoom call with a bunch of faces. Apparently there will be um, some reenactments with like miniature special effects, which I'm sure will be amazing. That's fun. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, so that, um, that, Virtual show is going to actually happen next month. Uh, I will include the details of that in the show notes. Um, just a few more news items here. Uh, earlier today, uh, a a collective of New York City comedy venues uh, yeah. rallied for uh, reopening uh, in New York City. Um, there was a press conference outside of... Uh, a comedy club um, and people were a mess and all that uh, sort of thing. Apparently in New York City, there's a discrepancy in the reopening process. Um, restaurants can have alfresco dining like we have here in Los Angeles, but uh, apparently they're allowing trivia indoors at bars uh, for mm -hmm. some reason. Yeah. Um, we, we, and bowling is allowed apparently in New York City. Uh, those things are currently not allowed in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, it's all al fresco. There's no family entertainment that's allowed because uh, we're in, what is it, purple or whatever uh, that <laughs> Newsom has categorized as that. As Comrade Newsom says, no fun. <laughs> no fun. Well, you know, we're our, our state's on fire, so probably not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, so I, I watched this uh, press conference that Cameron Cruz, uh, the founder of QED Astoria, um, was leading. And basically, they, they're, what, what they're asking for is just to be part of the conversation uh, sure. in reopening. And I do think that's the problem, is that so many people are just sort of left in the dark. And that's why people are second guessing and things happen not so safely, yeah. uh, because there isn't a lot of guidance. Um, and I understand that, you know, this time is unprecedented uh, uh, largely and it's hard for people to figure out a lot of stuff when things keep changing all the time, but mm -hmm. it would help if people had some idea of what to do or, you know, even if that changed, uh, you know, have some steps, some something, you know, uh, when you yeah. leave with them with nothing, then um, they're kind of left just hanging in the wind and uh, what they're saying is without any sort of discussion or guidance uh, from New York Governor Cuomo, um, they're really afraid that they'll have to close in, uh, permanently. Yeah, I mean, that would, I mean, it is ridiculous that, I mean, the, the comedy store is open, you know, to do outdoor drinks and stuff. And it literally is just a simple matter of can the gut, like Taylor Tomlinson's got show, she got shut down in La Jolla. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they have the outdoor seating, which they're allowed to do. Mm -hmm. They're just going to have Taylor stand on the patio and tell jokes to people while they do what they're allowed to do. And they shut it down, right. which is absurd. But like what, where I will do devil's advocate is like, I, 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 I would imagine people are just fucking swamped in like government levels. I mean, maybe they're not. And right. I could see being like them being like, look, everyone wants to reopen. 
everyone has a reason why they should how many comedy clubs are there really like you don't pay the people who work there a living wage right. uh, you're performers so like is this worth the government's time when literally every other business that like that employ way more people that are way more important in the country like need our attention too? So like I I mean, I get it, but like I get the damn hypocrisy of it. And also, if you're sending around cops to be like, shut this comedy club down, that's fuck. That's I mean, I would think you've got a better use of your damn time than that. Oh, they have so much better use of their time. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. No, they don't need to be concerning themselves with that. But um, yeah, they you know the, their consideration for outdoor show. I mean, like that's kind of what they're um, asking for. And I mean, that's you know, a lot of people have a lot of different feelings and takes on like how shows should be done going forward. And we have a lot to figure out. I I I, I think. But again, if there was. Yeah, I, I mean, comedy, uh, live comedy. I mean, and I mean, they're kind of pushing for this also on the behalf of small independent venues because that's where comedy happens largely. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. What? What are? What is anybody supposed to do? <laughs> um, so I imagine that is the first in probably um, a series of uh, a lot of different rallies and. Yeah. and uh, we'll see. Um, if you want more information about that, uh, you get, you can look up at uh, saveourstages.com. Um, uh, the National Independent Venue Association uh, has a lot to do with trying to save, uh, you know, small venues around uh, the United States. Um, last news item uh, for today, Jenny Slate. Um, just was announced to host a new travel docu-series called Sex Plants that will be coming to Quibi, which, I mean, will it even survive before it pr- pr- premieres? I don't know. Hey, uh, girl, like, steal the silver off the Titanic, do you think? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, if, you can, if that check clears before they have to sell it to another more successful streaming service or, you know, just get it off of just your phone. I think that's what they're going to have to do. Yeah, I mean, look, man, I don't, I don't like sitting here being like, why did they do Quibi? It's the stupidest thing. Like, if you're going to drop a billion into something, like, you must, like, you do your homework. Like, I would love to know what they knew or what they thought that they knew that we didn't because, like, mm-hmm. from afar, it seems like a terrible idea. And right. it's not working, so. I think that they were just going off, I, I think this is a case of misinterpreting data. In yeah. terms of like, oh, people spend so much time on their phone. Yeah. Maybe we can sort of get a little bit of that market share of their yeah. time. It's like, um, well, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like saying you're going to like, hey, there's everything in the mall. I'm going to open up this tiny store next to the mall. Like you think, or like, you know, a distance from the mall. Like, why would you, why would you go to the little store when you just go to the mall? Yeah. Like, is there anything in that store that like, that store would have to be so fucking good to mm-hmm. get people and also like people make content for free on youtube are incredible mm-hmm. like yeah. you're not gonna out quality youtube like they're no. just gonna they will beat you with you know it's a thousand monkeys like that are gonna write hamlet you know right. and it uh it shows that just because they paid for big name talent isn't gonna get people 
to go download the app and you know subscribe for like five ninety nine a month or whatever. Yeah, but see, that's another thing too. Like, like no one's gonna sub- no one's gonna subscribe to Quibi when you can just be like, okay, it's all on YouTube. Like, it's all in. And by the way, I had to like I don't want anything like this to fail. But the fact that like a, like we're gonna do, make this work with sheer star power alone, the fact that that failed kind of makes me happy because yeah. that's been so much the comedy business. Oh yeah. Uh, five, 10 years. And just, just, I think it's too, it's, it's incredibly short sighted and I don't even think it's working in the short term. I mean, you know, what do I know? I'm not anybody's accountant, but. Right. No, I, that's sort of what I was heading towards. Um, I keep two points I wanted to make. Um, I think Netflix's rise in prominence in standup comes from them not highlighting stars. Uh, They specifically, gave an hour special in their like early original days to Jen Kirkman, yeah. Ali Wong, and Tom Segura before yeah. they were huge. They, in fact, the specials that they made, made them huge. Yeah. And it's because it was a very sagacious looking at who they were, the, what they were doing, and like, why are these people not big yet? They should be big for what they're doing. And um, they picked right. And now they just, um, they wanna give what? Eddie Murphy $70 million to do stand up again? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Here's the thing. Like I was talking about baby Cobra and it's like, like, has there been a significant break, like a bring the pain mm -hmm. kind of like, wow, piece of standup special from the Netflix area and baby Cobra might be the only one. And like, there's no reason they couldn't have had like a couple a year for a decade. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead they only had, I I would point to um, Minette being similar and breaking. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, say what you will about Nanette, but it definitely did that. Yeah, like, uh, you know, uh, the whole world learned that name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, like, they could they could do that more often instead of just paying out the big bucks for yeah. Yeah. Love uh, or hate Nanette, it is, it is not insignificant. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is not. No, it, it will forever, it, it will be in the comedy history books, no matter uh, how, how you feel about it, uh, forever. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, the other point I want to make about Quibi is Karen Kilgariff brought up this point, um, I think on My Favorite Murder about, it's not like we want to spend more time on our phones. That's then, not, uh, we boom. don't want to do that. We feel like obligated to do it because of yeah. how it's set up and how all the apps are designed to just suck us in, but we're not happy about it. No, that's well said. That's a really great observation. Yeah. Also, it's like when they wanted to go with Star Powers, like Kevin Hart's on Quibi. It, okay, it's like, is, is Kevin Hart exclusive to Quibi? <laughs> no, like, he's not. He has his like, own online network. Right? Like, that, like he has his own production company. Like, yeah. he, he, you'd, you'd have to be like, Kevin Hart is a Quibi exclusive. I think they have a prayer of that model working. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah. I mean, yeah, so they're they're keeping doing it, but I will say they have made some interesting like acquisitions and series yeah. orders, and you know this Jenny Slate thing is yeah. it's interesting. I just I'm I'm really curious where this is gonna go, um, yeah. and how it will survive. So that is it for news this week. Um, 
I want to um, just briefly mention, give a shout out to season two of Pen15. Uh, I binged through, uh, well, it was, it's seven episodes that are on Hulu right now. Um, no TV show ever has had a season that's seven episodes. Obviously it got interrupted because of uh, COVID-19, but um, it's everything that I wanted to end more. They really go bigger and bolder, uh, which, you know, before even I watch, uh, before watching it, I had a hard time imagining what that would be, but they really, really use their, the mechanism of Anna and Maya as adults playing probably the most convincing kids of all time. I don't know. Like they did just seem like they're 13. They really do. Um, and they really uh, use that to the maximum uh, effect. And uh, it's hilarious and heartbreaking all at the same time. Uh, I'd urge people to go watch all seven episodes of season two. Um, is there anything new comedy wise that you've seen or heard or, I mean, really anything you'd like to recommend? Um, it's not, okay, well, it's not all that new anymore, oh, but not a ton of people have, like, it's not, it didn't ring that hard, but it's on Hulu. If any, if you have not seen The Art of Self-Defense. Oh, I love The Art of Self-Defense. God damn. I watched it on a plane and I was laughing out loud throughout the whole flight. That's one of the best comedy films oh, yeah. I've seen in maybe a decade. I thought it was incredible. It's so, so funny. It is very dark, but it is. It so really is. But it's it's a laugh out loud funny. Oh yeah. And it's also it's like you don't see okay this guy was just a guy he just wrote a script he made a movie for ten million or whatever you so and he, it's a great comedy it's got like it's such a model of movie making and comedy making that like I grew up with that you see so much less and it's just awesome I can't recommend that. Also also I want to put a quick shout out in for this. Um, if y'all have HBO Max, mm -hmm. log on to there. And I rewatched this movie recently. Unless you, okay, I'm not the biggest Adam Sandler fan in the world. Sure. I'm not gonna rewatch Billy Madison ever. Probably not gonna rewatch Happy Gilmore ever. Right. I rewatched a little film from the year 2000 called Little Nicky. Mm -hmm. And if that movie's not a goddamn comedy masterpiece, that if you, unless you loathe Adam Sandler, rewatch Little Nicky. That movie's incredible. It's mm -hmm. so damn funny. Mm -hmm. Is I mean, it is there something magical about it because it's like a, a, about a good devil at a time when people feel the end is nigh? Well, no, I mean it's it's just the fact that like look, people used to care about religious shit way more. So the act, the fact that Adam Sandler is doing something pretty subversive for the time, right. very like I love a high concept comedy too. Like sure. people have never really been like mm -hmm. like a high concept, high cost because and like the set. The production design in this movie is great for a comedy. You don't see a lot of high concepts. You don't see a lot of like big production design comedies. And it's so damn funny. I think it's his best movie. Wow. Bold yeah. statement. Bold statement. Yeah. And like, okay, there's the, what, one of my favorite lines in a comedy film is in Little Mickey. It's at the end where like, you know, they've convinced everyone to like turn to evil or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like the David Bowie devil brothers on this throne and he like ascends and he goes i'm so proud of you you've given to sin with such minimal prompting <laughs> <laughs> little nicky is dope rewatch it nice uh little nicky and the art of self-defense yeah make sure those are included uh in the show notes and now on to you fifi uh okay. it, 
you know, I, I just want to hear about all of it. Walk me through your, your journey. Um, I mean, I initially, when we were chatting about doing this episode, you said uh, it would be interesting for us to talk about how you started comedy as a man and then came back to it as a woman, but also yeah. there uh, is an addendum to where you're now at a, a place where as a woman, um, maybe stand up, take it or leave it. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking leave it, man. I, mm -hmm. yeah. In fact, I know leave it. I, <laughs> I mean, it's just here, well, here's, here's what it is. Okay. I've been around, I performed stand-up like I had to like prove my own existence. Right. Like I'm up there proving my value as a human being. Mm -hmm. And now that I don't, and that by the way, that doesn't work at all. It's quite the opposite. Right. And you know, I did a set in the store window illegally the yeah. other night and I really had a bad time mm -hmm. and like, I just thought, okay, I haven't done this in six months. I hated that I did this just now and I've been disliking this for years. Right. You know, it's just simple, man. Like I don't, I don't feel the need to, pr I don't get the, a rush from standing in front of people and being like, see, I'm funny. If people think I'm funny, like I just don't, okay, well they do. Now yeah. what? Or they don't. Now what? It just, I don't feel the need. Did you get that feeling? What's like, that? Did you ever get that feeling? Like when you For when a you while, were... but, yeah. but it's like fleeting. It's like smoking a cigarette. It's like, yeah, 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 I feel it. And then you need it again. And I did, yeah, 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 I need it again for 10 years. Right. And it just became too, like, look, there are people out there who want what I do. And there's a ton of them. Mm -hmm. and I've got something valuable for the world, but like, I'm sorry, being up at 1 a.m. in front of drunk people or flying out to the middle of nowhere to see people who have no idea who I am probably, and just like finding the people who want to see me by just standing in front of them and just slamming my face into them one by one to see if they like me, right. it's just not something I want to do anymore. Right. You know, I like... I like getting to bed at a reasonable hour. I like putting some time into writing funny stuff and going, that was a good time. I feel creatively filled. Now I'm gonna do any of the other number of things I like to do because this thing I like to do isn't my, how I get my right to be alive anymore. Right. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing that you've gotten to that place. And because I, I don't know it's a it's a long road. I mean, no no matter where you come from, to get that sort of actualization um, as a human being and uh, creatively, uh, it's hard. It's a long yeah. road. Um, how did you get there? I mean, you know, I know that you were doing stand up as a man and working your way up through the store, as you know, is prescribed. With you know, there's a farm system, and you have to go through yeah. all the rounds of being family and friends like uh and then what was uh what was like a breaking point walk me through it um well it was that said i did the other night and it's like look i mean i don't i don't want to disrespect anybody but like i remember i did my first show out as fifi mm -hmm. at, at like an old year show and i'm like i really don't feel good here and i don't feel loved and i don't feel and like as much as i don't really want i don't want to do stand-up anymore 
the people at the comedy store are so damn supportive and so amazingly loving to me and so like oh my god fifi is doing her first set as fifi instead of joe let's all go watch this shit it's wild everyone has been Look, the, the comedy store has a not entirely unearned reputation as being a bro-y place, but I am telling you, the people around there, that is where I found the love. And I felt so much of it from that place. Right. But, like, just this particular brand of comedy, it's just, like, not what I... It's not the right way for me. It's, it's, just, not the right, it's just not the right way for me anymore. And it doesn't have to be. There's a million other ways. Right. And, you know, comedy in general is just like, I like it, but it's just not as, I got into comedy because I grew up a closeted trans person growing up in South Dakota, which is like the boringest, you know, no disrespect to South Dakota, but nothing cool has happened there or will ever happen there ever. Right. And, um, which is kind of disrespectful, but it's just like some of like the most, the happiest moments of my life were like, me being 18 and driving around, listening to Bill Hicks rips I've got, uh, I downloaded off of Kazaa. Right. And being like, he said what? He said, can you, he, he said that? Like, this would blow the entire, like, my whole world's mind. And it's just like, I'm 33, man. And the, like, everyone has lived, children have lived with the internet their whole lives. Right. And just nothing blows my mind anymore. I got into comedy because I wanted to escape life and I just don't, I don't want to escape life anymore. Right. When, when do you, when, are there specific moments when you came to those realizations? You said you started transitioning earlier this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, you know, you said that you're a closet trans person. So what, what's the timeline of all these things as you, well, last year, I kind of was getting fed up with comedy and just feeling like I am just really going to let loose on stage because I am really, really not like I don't, not vulnerable, I don't give a fuck, but angrily, I don't give a fuck. Right. And I just was like, I'm going to start wearing girls clothes and makeup on stage because fuck you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I kind of was like, hey, this was great. I can go, hey, fuck you world. I'll do what I want. I could probably do that in my regular life too. And after doing that for a while, like wearing a dress, you know, mm-hmm. every now and then and wearing a little makeup on my face and part of wheels started turning being like, this is probably a thing trans people do when they're not prepared to accept that they're trans mm-hmm. and like they will one day. And like, that's what happened, man. Mm-hmm. And I just got to a point when I was like, I wear what I want and I say what I want and I do what I want. Fuck you. I remember thinking, like, I would love to do this without the fuck you. I would love to do this and feel, like, soft and good inside. Right. What? What? Yeah. How did that realization come? Was there a set or was it just, like, a gradual change of, like, I'm tired of holding on to this anger, this is draining? I mean, it was COVID, too, because COVID just shut down, you know. Like, there was a time, there was a brief, like, two-month window where I was living as Fifi, but I wasn't... I wasn't on hormones yet. I wasn't medically transitioning. So it was just like, it was fucking weird, man. I didn't know who I was on stage. I didn't know who I was in life. So when COVID happened, it's like, look, I'm just going to take this time, fuck it all, to just figure out who I am and get comfortable being me. And like during that time, like I said, I spent a lot of 
my time just kind of traipsing around red states, really. Like I went up to Montana, I went to Colorado, I went through Utah right. as a recently out trans woman who doesn't pass yet. Mm-hmm. And I just felt happy, man. I felt happy. I felt more visible, visible and warm with people than I've ever been in my life. That's and I mean, just not my friends even, like definitely them, but like, I mean, just people saying hi to people, like going on hikes and stuff. And I'm like, wow, I can be part of the world and life is good. Yeah. And this rules and people are cool. And I'm in fucking, I'm in Beaver, Utah right now, man. Right. So, and then I get back to doing the world of stand-up. I did my stand-up set the other night and I'm like, this is hostile and mean and everyone's drunk and they are not wanting to eat what I'm serving. Mm-hmm. And this sucks and I feel bad. Right. And, and I don't need to. Like the whole previous time before that proved I don't need to. There are yeah. people who... This world of stand-up is not regular life. It's something else. Right. It is. It is. Um, and what you'll find... I mean, stand-up isn't the only way to do comedy, um, as no. you know. And, I mean, so much of doing comedy these days um, is finding your own audience, you know? Yeah. And you will have your own audience. And, and the more honest you are uh, with yourself and the more that you are yourself as you are now, uh, yeah. the better chance that that's going to work out, I believe. Yeah. And, you know, also I want to say, like, no, I don't want everyone to ever give a shred of disrespect to the comedy store. That has been, like, mm-hmm. where I did 92% of my comedy over the last three years or so. And I love it. Here's Thing. The comedy store is one of the greatest places in existence, mm-hmm. but it's located in the bowels of hell. Yeah, you kind of, you kind of, to get there, you kind of have to be in a little bit of hell. Oh, and sure. I'm just not anymore, man. Right. But if you're in that like place, spiritually speaking, which I was for most of my life, mm-hmm. God damn it, it's great. Right. It is. I mean, it is an outlet. I mean, there is a reason that it attracts the people that it does and the people that stick around for it's very abusive process even though uh a lot has changed um with them having a new talent uh booker and over the last was it three four years since adam's been there yeah well i think he's been like 2014 2014 okay so six years six years he's been around a bit yeah, yeah uh, but transitioning to him uh, being instead of Tommy and then uh, Roast Battle invigorating the store with a, a, a lot of new life and then Rogan getting really huge and then kind of playing there all the time yeah. um, really brought a lot of change. But it's still, there's still a lot of the store that is very much the comedy store. Yeah. And it'll probably just be like that for a long time. Well, I mean, and by the way, like that, this all being said, I'd still rather, I'd rather go, if I'm going to check up the world of stand up performing or watching, like that's where I'm going and I'm not going anywhere else. Right. Like that's also not for nothing, but there's like a ton of trans people just in the orbit of the store there all the time. Like on any given night, there's usually at least one of us, if it's not me or Cassandra or Robin or Celine, you know, I mean, like. I just was walking around. I'm like, yeah, there's a fair amount of trans people here. This is kind of weird. <laughs> what do you, it, was there a point in time where you felt like there only had to be, there was only one allowed in like a public space? 
I mean, well, no, but it's just like, you know, we're not, you don't see a ton of us all the time, like gathered in great numbers and we're fairly conspicuous out in public. So. Yeah. That's great that, that, um, that is where the store is. I, I mean, I will say that, yeah. um, you know, there is a similar mindset, but they do take all kinds. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Um, did you, so when you, when you were, when you decided, when, when you started dre- dressing up in women's clothes and makeup, had you already been a regular? Yeah, I had for about a year and a half at the time. Yeah. And so when I, I, I was listening to your podcast, uh, Fifi Quest, which people should also uh, listen to and subscribe and give five stars and all that jazz. Thank you. That's, a, that's how you plug that's, That's how you podcasted. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you mentioned how you you worked so hard to uh, become a paid regular and yeah. get a name on the wall, which is such a landmark, a milestone for a comedian. And um, you, they have like a ceremony uh, to paint all the new names on the wall. Yeah. And you apparently went and it, instead of it being like this watershed moment for you, you cried. Yeah. I remember thought like, hey, I thought for the longest time if I thought if I could just get my name on the wall, I would kind of like be a legit human being. Mm-hmm. Like I'd be okay because I can prove I did that. And I remember seeing my name on the wall and like for a second I felt nothing. And then I felt just sorrow inside because I'm like, oh my God, like I. It wasn't this the didn't an- shit to my self-worth. Yeah, it wasn't the answer you're looking for. Not at all, man. Yeah. And so that happened and you realize like this didn't do it, but you got to be a paid regular at the store, which is a very, very enviable slot. Yeah. So what was your, what was your thought process? What were you going through? Like how were sets going, going forward for that year and a half? I mean, sets were good. I mean, look, I like, like there was a time when it was great and it was the greatest thing for me. And, you know, like, I'll just say it. I'm good at what I do. I'm a good stand-up. But, like, I don't want to make angry and defensive work, man. Thank you. I just don't. I'm an angry, defensive, hostile comedian. And some people, like, some people, that is their whole thing. Mm -hmm. And, like, I love Bill Burr, you know. I don't listen to him as much. I think he's, like, easily one of my favorite stand-ups and some of his bits are like important to me but like I just don't want to live as that person right right and I I don't have to you know no now when you started like um dressing up yeah like was that were you framing that for people as a character or were you I mean how, how did that all play out I kind of thought of it like, hey, I'm like punk rock as fuck and I don't give a fuck. Very cool. And it kind of, it, it, it kind of worked because like, <laughs> I think people like, I think, I think stand-up crowds liked when I dressed up in, you know, women's clothes mm-hmm. angrily. They didn't like it as much when I did it happily. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it's like. I don't know. That place respects, they at least claim to respect, I don't give a fuck, you know, people who go there. Right. Because there, there are other people uh, in comedy that are trans that I, I, that's their journey that I saw. They started yeah. doing like 
sketches in dresses yeah. Yeah. wigs and then they started doing it more often and yeah. then they're like well actually i'm just gonna be this yeah there are old sketches of me online from like 2012 where i'm like playing a ballerina and all that kind of crap and mm -hmm. in yeah. those times like um did you feel uh more yourself did you i mean feel more comfortable at all like yeah. that, that's the start keying on like oh maybe i want to transition like maybe i I mean, yeah, I mean, that is the road that brought, that's why, like, even though I don't want to do stand-up anymore, that this is, it's the road that brought me here. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful for that. Because I just kind of, like, performing stand-up at the store specifically really sharpened my I don't give a fuck, I can be who I want muscle. Right. And I just wouldn't have done that anywhere else. It wouldn't have meant anything to me. Like, if I weren't doing stand-up, like, what am I going to go into work and be like, I don't give a fuck, I wear what I want. Like, what? You know, <laughs> I just wouldn't have, like, been in my world. Right. And you didn't know what... It, I, the store offered the, the freedom for you to figure out what that world was. Yeah. I, you know, to tell me if I'm off base here, but I feel like you said you were a closet trans woman, and you didn't really know that. Yeah. Until you had the space to figure that out. Yeah. Um, so you start wearing women's clothes and you're still very much this aggro yeah. comic. Um, and then you were like that until like lockdown happened in March and yeah. that was just a big period of reflection. Yeah. And I just started really living happily and being like, look, I'm really digging who I am and I'm really digging my podcast Fifi Quest on YouTube and Apple. Uh, and, um, you know, I really like being soft and vulnerable and I really like writing things and being like, okay, I'm done with that. I don't have to take this in front of random people and have them stare at me if they are not into it. Like there are ways I can do this where I just go beeline right to the people who like it and the people who don't like it, I don't deal with. Right. Did, did that uh, shift happen because like, you couldn't perform in front of live audiences anymore? Yeah, it did. And honestly, I think it probably would have had, I mean, I may have taken a break from stand-up had it kept going on, had I transitioned anyway, just because there was a point where I was like, I just, I, I don't, I don't know who I am. And at this, like at the store specifically, if you don't know who you are, you will eat shit on stage. Oh, like, sure. They don't give you an ounce of indulgence. No. Uh, for as loving as you just said that they were, um, yeah, if you come up with an impression of what you think stand-up is, of who you are, it, they yeah. will you right through it, and yeah. bomb. And goddamn, I'm glad that they did, because I wouldn't have gotten here. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, I if I, something, if I didn't have something in my life that mm -hmm. this was like, you need to be yourself, or you're going to be fucking humiliated, Oh, and yeah. that goddamn promise, if I didn't have that in my life, I don't think I would have gotten here. Right. And I love my life now. I'll say it again. Oh, it's very clear that you love your Thanks. life. And I think that's great. Thanks. I think that's really, really great. Um, now, when you started, w when did the name Fifi come along? Fifi? Well, I was, I was Googling names, and actually, like, my guy name was Joe. Mm -hmm. And I actually kind of liked Josephine. So I'll go by that too. But then I was just Googling name meetings and said, Josephine means ba da 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 Some people do short for Fifi, and I'm like, boom, Fifi. 
Right. It to me, Fifi's a name. It's I, I kind of want to live as the girliest name I could imagine. Right. But to me, that. Fifi symbolizes aiming high, mm-hmm. and don't be afraid of aiming high. There you go. I'm not gonna half-ass this, man. I'm gonna like, I'm going all the way. I'll be as girly and giggly and as much as whatever I really am, as I goddamn want. And like, then like. There are days when I'm like, I don't know if I feel like I'm Fifi enough, but like, I'm <laughs> going to try to get there, dude. Right. Now, in the in the process, all right, so you decide on Fifi. Now, there's obviously I mean, a transition period within this yeah. transitioning of like, you know, you go on stage as Fifi, and then in the context of comedy, people are like, oh, I mean, that's just you going on stage as Fifi, and then you come back and you're not Fifi anymore. Yeah. How did that work? Um, I mean, it was we. There was a moment where, like, I was just sort of like, I don't even know anymore, dude. Fuck mm-hmm. it, and I just started talking. Like, I wrote some. Like, you know, here's the thing about big milestones. It means you know a new twenty minutes like that. Right. So, like I just started doing a bunch of new jokes about transitioning. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, and like people were enjoying me in a way that I had never been enjoyed before on stage. Like I always done well, but I'm like, there is a marked difference in quality to how much people are liking these new jokes about who I really am now. And then there were, I remember there were sets where I would tell a bunch of jokes like that. And then I'd go back to something like I wrote as Joe. Mm-hmm. And I could kind of feel the audience go, come on. Like, okay, you were being real. And now you're, now you're tricking us. You yeah. Know? That's the same. So many comics that I've seen go up now, whether it's on Zoom or a drive-in show. Um, yeah. They'll try to tell a joke that they wrote before covid and it's yeah. so clear that like oh yeah th- this is bullshit yeah it's uh, it has nothing to do with anything that w- any of us are going through yeah it's uh yeah I think it's so i was in a mosh pit the other day shut up dude <laughs> <laughs> no you weren't no yeah. you weren't say you were at a trump rally without a mask that's more believable yeah yeah the phrase the other day coming out of a stand-up could mean eight years yes yeah you might as well start saying the other year. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The other year, or I mean, because it's 2020, you could say the other decade. Yeah. <laughs> the other decade, you know, when life was like a thing we could do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. Oh, geez, indeed. Uh, so now, um, you know, you uh, had that break, like we've largely all had from stand-up because of the lockdown and then you um did a show and i, I do really want to nail this home for people so currently at the store what you can just sort of maybe kind of do is they have this patio that's technically open air um because yeah. there's no windows and uh there's a glass a set of glass doors that lead into the original room and what people yeah. are doing is uh putting a mic stand and a mic in that lobby and the performers can do stand up on the other side of the glass doors, and uh, people can drink and watch that uh, while distanced. Right? Yeah, I mean, 
everybody hush hush, you know, before the report. <laughs> hush, hush. Some fun stuff, you know, shuts it all down. Uh, um, so you got to do a show uh, with that setup and it did not go well. And now uh, it seems like you're walking away from stand up. But I feel yeah. like you still want to be in comedy, uh, you know, not to put you on the spot, but what are you, what are you thinking? Well, I mean, I am considering going fuck it all. I mean, mm-hmm. it's on the table. I'm not leaning terribly that way, but like part of me is like, you know what, man, I, I, I think the only thing that was keeping me from being a full-time writer was just that I had an old belief like, well, that's just, that's just not going to work out for you. Good things don't happen to you. Mm-hmm. And like stand-up was very much a like, I control everything kind of art form. And I'm really grateful that I couldn't be prosperous doing that because if I could, I would. And I'd still probably be pretty unhappy. I don't know if I'd be able to walk away from it. Yeah. And um, I mean, man, I wrote a new pilot in a month, which is like, that seems like a reasonable goal. Like, that seems like an okay time to say I'm going to write a new pilot. And I did it working 15 minutes a day four hours a week and i'm like look man if i can crank out something valuable working that little and having so much other time to just be happy and do stuff i want to do like why the fuck wouldn't i do that the only reason i wouldn't shoot for that is because i think like well yeah but you don't deserve or good things don't happen to you and it's like that's a thing people do man Mm -hmm. and i'm good enough and i'm worthy Mm -hmm. yeah and that's just the voice in your head yeah exactly you know, and it's sad that it's just um, there for so many people, especially, you know, in creative endeavors, because it can be so lonely. I mean, stand-up is inherently lonely. It's in its DNA. Yeah. Uh, not to mention so much of comedy is, is like a solo endeavor, yeah. uh, no matter what you choose. Um, but it's it's great that you are finding more of what you really want. Now, yeah. writing, any type of writing or... Yeah, I mean, right now I have a feature that I want to get made, and I wrote, I actually wrote a pilot about just my experiences coming out as a trans woman amid COVID and amid, like, all the sex scandals in the comedy community that's happened this summer, because that was weird, too, because, like, all that stuff broke, and, like, every woman I know is just like, man, pieces of shit, they've been doing us in comedy, and I'm just like, I just got here, I don't, I don't know, like, uh-huh. oh, I didn't yeah. do my homework, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Well, let them let them speak because it has been terrible for a very, yeah. very long time. You know, and like not for nothing, not that this was a deciding factor, but it didn't help. I'm like, you know, I kind of don't like that I know personally a lot of accused rapists mm-hmm. because of this fucking art form. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, not to drag, not to bring it up because like nothing's proven in this that, and the other, but I kind of don't love that. Like, my biggest TV credit is on a show run by an accused child molester mm-hmm. where you say racial slurs to each other. Like, I'm like, this is, this is the uh, life I carved out for myself, huh? Let's maybe reevaluate, Thief. Right. And you don't want that to, I mean, you know, be a, if you were doing standup, that be your intro? I mean, you look. You her on an accused, you know what I mean? I mean, look, I'm really proud of what I did on Roast Battle, but it's just not for me anymore. Right. 
Yeah. No, it definitely doesn't. I mean, if your idea of what you want to put out in the world, comedy or not, is spreading yeah. love and joy and just exuding uh, yourself in your best life, then um, yeah. I mean, not you know, and maybe not even all the time. Like I really, like I, I really, I, I, I really, really, really believe in the value of offensive dark humor. It oh, has, sure. it has literally saved me from killing myself so often, right. and so many like. So many like homo quote homophobic transphobic works of art and works of comedy have led me to being Fifi. So and like like my movie. More to that. Like that? how can you speak more to that? Like how specifically did like a homophobic or transphobic um, art or jokes lead you to where you are today? Okay, so I identified as a gay man for a long time, which was like, you know, a, let's call it a good start. <laughs> um, for a while but like what led me to that decision Bill Burr has this joke on he has an album called Let It Go from 2004 mm -hmm. he has this joke about and like meanwhile like this was basically at a time when I was so miserable I was so happy it was an un like I was an alcoholic the, like like this was a time when I, I was a huge Opie and Anthony fan at this time and like to this day like some of this stuff like I don't listen to them anymore because I'm like done with it but like mm -hmm. Some of the stuff they've done in Opie and Anthony remains some of the funniest stuff I've ever heard in my life. Right. They are considered a very uh, controversial, controversial show. Yeah, and it's kind of as dark as you can go, really. They're sort of like the, I mean, but anyway. I remember Bilber has this joke about how his girlfriend, like, she got excited seeing a pumpkin at a grocery store and be like, oh, pumpkins are coming. It's fall. Let's get a jack-o'-lantern. And then he's like, Bill, like the joke is Bill Burr's brain starts to go, yeah, it would be fun to do, it would be fun to get a jack-o'-lantern. And then his brain just screams at him, what are you, a fag? And like, the joke is about how, like the only thing keeping him from being happy is himself. Mm -hmm. And it's joke where an angry white straight dude screams the word faggot a lot. Right. And I'm not being hyperbolic at all when I say that piece of art made me pull the gun out of my mouth literally that's when i realized like yeah the only thing keeping me from being happy is me mm -hmm. like it's all inside like the voice is coming from inside the house right so because that joke is about self-acceptance yeah and then i was like hey i'm gonna live as a gay man and that was great for a while and it wasn't really my deal but right. i mean it was a great step in the right direction yeah yeah there's this quote by Carl Jung where he says something to the effect of like, when you're low, the door out is going to be low. Mm -hmm. And I think comedy, I think people need that low door out. I certainly literally did in the most dire possible way, right. but I'm just not low anymore. Right. And that's great. The, yeah. I mean, that, it's just a door out and out yeah. can be to a whole nother level. And apparently it is for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's Thanks, um, so you wrote a movie, you wrote a pilot. I mean, yeah. um, is, so you want to write TV and movies or, I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, a series of essays, uh, poetry. I don't know. What do you want to do? The plan is, is to get like my movie and my show is made, get up at a reasonable time, work a reasonable amount of time during the day, you know, get a husband to go home at a reasonable time, make dinner, have a lovely evening with friends, get
get to bed at 11.15 and um, just enjoy 11, life. 11.15 specifically? Oh, even then, that's pushing it. <laughs> got it, got it. Did, how many spots did you have at the store that were after 11.15? I mean, all of them. <laughs> yeah, of course. All, you know, all of them, yeah. Yeah. For those first first few years, when you get past as a paid regular, for listeners who don't know, you will not get up past uh, midnight, probably. No, if you're if you're ultra famous, you're going up at ten, which means you're home at eleven and like in bed by eleven thirty. That's still late, right. technically speaking. If you have kids, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's not into it anymore, man. And I'm thinking like maybe I could do a YouTube channel, like like. I'm really inspired by the Red Lighter Media guys. Like those Mr. Plinkett reviews of the, the Star Wars sequels are some of my favorite pieces of comedy and they're so smart. And like, I'll watch them review movies I didn't even see. And I'm like, I could do something like this because I really believe comedy is best when it's spontaneous. And I, mm-hmm. again, no disrespect to anyone that's just my personal states. I find like literally all of standup comparatively stilted like mm-hmm. opie and anthony was always funnier than any stand-up i've ever heard because it's organic right and you can kind of you can kind of have your cake and eat it too you can come up with something before and then bring it to this really organic arena right. if you yeah. want yeah that's for me the funniest moments in stand-up i mean this is why it's kind of sad right now is like when you see it live and it's truly done live i mean yeah. it, it sounds vague for people but done properly it's like there's this truly live experience where that performance is one unto itself and it won't ever be done the same exact way ever again and the moments i laugh at are the really unplanned ones that like i know people's sets back and forth and i know when they like fucked up and then they have to deal with it or something weird happens in the audience or like i brought this moment up i think on another episode oh i think it was the last one david borey did conan and uh, he missed his mark. He like overstepped his mark and he looked up at the camera and said, oh no, I ruined it. Ah! <laughs> so funny. Yeah. He did not plan that at all. And they 100% kept that in. And that's it was so funny. And it read on TV. Oh, it that's read. great. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of that. There's some Louis C.K. special where there's a camera on the side and he's like performing and it just kind of gets closer and closer. And you're like, this is a really close zoom. And he turns to the camera and said, you got to back the fuck up, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that might've been hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just say too, just, Jesse came up like, God did that whole thing bum me out. Like I'm such a fan of him. And yeah. like, it's a betrayal. It just sucks, dude. Because like, I, I think Horace and Pete is incredible. Mm-hmm. I watched his latest stand-up special that he did. I laughed my ass off. I really enjoyed it. I really need. I laughed at it when I really needed to laugh at something. Right. But then again, I watched it a second time, and I just like literally he comes on stage. I'm like, you fucking asshole. You're not sorry. Like, no, he's not. You know, it just it just sucked, man. Because I like his work, like was and is important to me. Mm-hmm. So that just sucks. It does, it does. Uh, I and we were. It, it, I mean, there isn't like a clear-cut blueprint for you know the penance or forgiveness yet uh, in that regard. But I, yeah. I, like, there was a sense of what he needed to do. Yeah. 
Um, and I mean, like Aziz did his super manufacturer, like very clearly, like, oh, you don't wear a Metallica t-shirt. Come on, man. Um, but it, I mean, at least, I mean, he ad- attempted it. So that's, I guess, something. But like, you could have improved off of that. Well, and I also do, I also do believe that just like, there is no level where people are going to be like, apology accepted, Louis. Like, I, I don't, I don't think. I don't think that exists, you know? It's gonna be an individual case by case basis for people. If some, if there's like, if there's something you could say that would make like a substantial amount of people go, like of his people who hated him go, okay, you know what, I accept your apology. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to hear it. I don't think it exists. Mm -hmm. Well, he certainly hasn't found it yet. (laughs) Yeah, and like also like he claims he cl- in that bootleg that came out, which I listened to, he claims that he lost, I think it was $40 million from the whole thing. And it's like, you know what, man, if a judge gave him $40 million for what he did, I certainly don't think like anyone would walk away going, well, this is, justice was not, uh, not served enough, you know? So I don't know, but. Yeah, but it, it does, it does suck. Because he did lie about it up until uh, that profile came out. Yeah. And, uh, well, yeah, never mind. I'm not even going to say what I was thinking. All right. I mean, feel free to, but. Well, I mean, when people say, like, people knew it was an open secret, it's like, well, a lot of people worked with him, you know? A lot of people worked with him. I remember reading something where Mark Maron was, like, on the red carpet with him. and Yeah. point blank sort of like hey man is this like is this like true yeah and he was like no yeah hey. and so what are you supposed to do with that your longtime old friend you know yeah i mean shit i worked with like jeff ross for a long time and i don't i don't have a clue what happened i'm not going to pretend like i do but you know yeah. so there's that so i don't really have a leg to stand on either but yeah and i'm just not you know like and even like with the Dalia thing, like I don't know, man. Like, what do you do? Like, well, I mean, hearing everybody out, especially hearing the accuser instead of you know immediately shutting them down, is a yeah. good start. Uh, yeah. You know, and then uh, letting those claims be investigated in a thorough and proper way and uh letting those again those voices be heard and you know if it does come to actual light that that really happened then that you know put out there well it's like if you like also like you see delia at places where only 21 year olds can get in and i'm not saying you know the rules can't be bent and um Again, I don't know if he did anything illegal. And but like when people started coming after his friends, it's like, okay, if your friend had, is doing a bunch of legal, like every fucking comic does borderline illegal shit, mm-hmm. you know? Like that's our world. It's grimy. And you know, if it's like, okay, if you see your friend with a bunch of legal-aged adult women, like you should really, like people are like, you should, you should really investigate your dear friend like you should assume your friend is like a you know sex predator 
Mm-hmm. Just because, like, you know, he's in, like, the yellow light area of it. Like, maybe people should, man, but, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I have that in me to do it. So I'm certainly not going to – that's quite a tall order. So I'm certainly not going to condemn anyone for not. It's uh, – I mean, there, there's – there's reasons why sort of like, you know, those things happen in, in a way that uh, becomes like a habitual sort of process, you know, so with like Cosby, Cosby became so big. Yeah. He had such, he had such a system in place. Yeah. Um, where there was enough people and enough people th- that only knew this part of it. And uh, you know, it was really hard to question because Cosby had this image and even though, you know, he had like, he would hear whispers of suspicious behavior. And certainly I did in like a couple of years leading up to everything coming out. Yeah. Even at that time, like personal friends would uh, tell me about like, you'd be really creepy at like festivals and stuff. It'd still be like, all right, but I mean, that just sounds crazy. Yeah. But, you know, I think it, you know, it, it bears, at, especially now, like, with everything that's come out over the several years to, like, at the very least, look into it. Yeah, yeah. Voices, you know? I think it's just, it's a lot to ask of someone to be like, hey, just become a detective of your best friend for, mm-hmm. like, the most horrible crime you can think of. And also, like... I, I, I kind of apologize for bringing this up, but mm-hmm. I one aspect of the Delia case that I really felt and I didn't really hear get brought up is like a 19, 20, 21 year old woman is an adult and a woman that age might really want to go to a comedy show of her favorite comedian and hook up with her favorite comedian. And that might be awesome for her. Right. Like, I am not at all comfortable with people like someone said, I, I heard someone say like, imagine if that, if that were your daughter, like your 19 year old daughter, how would you feel? I was like, I would hope I'm not my fucking daughter's sex life that much. Sure. If she's like away living an adult ass life. I don't think that like, mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable with that at all. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if they're adult, but you know, it's a little bit different if they're not. Well, yeah, yeah, and like we drew it, like people want to be like, hey, this arbitrary line that we drew that when you're an adult and not should be moved. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm willing to talk about that, but mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it seems like that's the sort of energy in that world that you wanted to get away from, right? I mean... Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad I'm glad you did. You you truly do seem so happy. Thanks, honey. I mean, look, that all that stuff was not a deciding factor at all. But like, God damn it, it did not help. Yeah, I can you only know? imagine. I can only imagine. I'm like, yeah, you know, I lot I know a lot of accused rapists all of a sudden, and not wild about that. No. No, that's not a that's not a great um, selling point on staying. Yeah. Making a pro and cons column. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, I think that's about our time, Fifi. Uh, thank you so much for joining me here on the yeah. latest episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. Um, obviously, there's uh, Fifi Quest, the podcast. Uh, it's available on Apple, and you can watch it on video on YouTube. Um, is there anything else you would like to plug? Where can people find you online? You can find me at, at Fifi Dash at F I F I D O S C H. And I would really appreciate it if you checked out my podcast. It's really, really personal. It's really, really vulnerable. It's, just I mean, I, yeah, it's just me just talking about what's going on inside me mm-hmm. and how I'm, how I'm becoming who I want to be. And I love it. And I would love to share it with you guys. Yeah. Um, the Comedy Bureau can be found at the Comedy Bureau across platforms. TheComedyBureau.com is where you would uh, visit the full site. Uh, I am Jay Kroger. I founded the Comedy Bureau. You can find me on Twitter at MFJ Kroger, uh, on Instagram at NotTheSupermarket. Um, the Comedy Bureau could use your help if uh, you uh, have some support and generosity available to you. I would urge you, uh, there are a lot of great causes to support at this time when it's so many people are in dire need. Uh, but after supporting those, um, when you're done, when you're done supporting the, you know, the entire States that burn to the ground. Yep. The entire States that burn. Yeah. Yeah, the, you, the air quality in Oregon is literally nine Shanghai's. Send Comedy Bureau a dollar. Yes, yes. You know, you know I got to say, I'm I'm 100% messing around because the Comedy Bureau is such a resource to people in this world in L.A. And every, just about everybody in L.A. doing comedy in any form owes you a debt of gratitude, Jake. So thank you so much for, for doing that, man. Thank you, Fifi. I, you know, um... As with a lot of, to your point about like uh, people dealing with huge um, issues of their time, um, they just felt the need to do it. Yeah. And that's how it got done. You know, people wonder about like, oh, how did you have the courage, the confidence or whatever? It's not even a factor. It's just like, oh, I thought that's what I needed to do. So I just did it. And that's- You're a real gem for doing it, on. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, I I just you know thought it needed to be done, and I'm I want to very much keep doing it and just have it. I mean, the only thing I want to do is just have it be bigger and better and more expansive. That's it. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, do you have anything to say as we sign off? Um, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. You're very very welcome. Uh, As I like to say at the end of every episode, uh, comedy is still happening. And as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it! The Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Guineo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.